Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hune. Our mission is to help you gain your freedom from the exhausting, never-ending corporate rat race. Because time is our most valuable asset. And life's just too short to do work we hate. Thanks for slowing down. All right, welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast, everybody. Uh, Today, my guest is Sean Parsons. And uh, Sean is a a fellow member of the First Gen Entrepreneurs Group that I've been in for some time now, that my good buddy, our good buddy, Andrew McIntosh, is the the founder of that community. And in fact, that's why I've got the hat on today. I, I, I figured like going forward, whenever I have somebody from the community on the show, I'm gonna wear the hat. What do you think, Sean? I think it's a great idea and it's a great group. I mean, there's there's no bad time to to represent the first gen community. Definitely, definitely. So Sean and I, we we just met recently, but you know, we, we're getting to know each other a little bit, and we're we're finding um, some commonality in terms of shared values. One of the things that I really like about Sean's perspective that that aligns with my perspective is uh, his desire to take control of his life, to be in the driver's seat, to no longer cater and and kowtow to external expectations and rewards. So, and and that's just an overarching theme with this community in general. So I'm excited to have you on here today, Sean, and and share your perspectives with us. Thank you. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So Sean, one of the things you mentioned to me uh, a while back is how we all want to feel valued. We want to feel like our presence is important and we want to feel like we're making a difference. So mm-hmm. I'm curious for, from your experience, did you ever feel that way in corporate or did you have to leave corporate in order to get that sort of feeling? So I've gone through several stages uh, professionally and I felt like I was getting a lot more value out of corporate earlier on in my career because I depended on corporate to be able to get the experience necessary to kind of, you know, refine and hone my skills, especially as an engineer. Uh, that mentorship was really helpful. So corporate provided kind of the facilitation to allow that to happen in the beginning. And I felt like I was getting incredible amounts of value being in that type of situation um, or in that kind of construct, I would say. But as time went along, that relationship started to change and I felt like I could provide immensely more value um, to an organization than they could provide for me. I started to see the direct impact of me being on a team um, as it relates to the value that they were able to take out of what I could do and be able to provide it to customers. And that's kind of when things changed a little bit for me. Um, And that was about probably five years into my professional career is when I noticed that I I wrote a program that helped fast food restaurants be able to distribute their menus on um, their mobile applications and distribute them into Grubhub and, you know, Postmates and all of these different channels. And I single-handedly wrote that. 
um, for an organization. And I worked directly with these fast food restaurants chains and, and, and even went to their headquarters and worked with their engineers and their developers. Um, and that, you know, generated 2 million ARR. And I was the sole developer on that. And at that time I was making about a hundred thousand dollars a year, which is a good salary, but I saw that, wait a second, like a light bulb kind of just, you know, went off and it said, wait, I can, I can do this. Like I can really do this, you know, and maybe that was kind of a eureka moment for me or professionally or something like that. But it was just like, wow, I can provide immense amount of value and it spans farther than what this organization is able to, you know, to allow because you eventually get to a point where um, you can provide more, but then you're limited to the confines of what that organization does or is willing to do, you know, from a managerial perspective, from a value proposition, like who their clients are and, and, and things like that nature. But you're able to provide so much more than that but then they try to confine you down to like what they do and what they want to do um, and who their target audience is. And you, you almost feel like you're put in a box, right? Like you're being limited and the value that you can provide is exponentially more than the challenges that they're giving to you. I think that's kind of when you reach that inflection point where you start to question whether continuing in corporate is the right direction for you. At least that's how it was for me. Yeah, I think that's such a healthy mindset that you have. And I don't know if this is retrospective, like looking back and you're saying you got a lot of value initially and then you got to a point where maybe you weren't um, you know, being compensated for, for the value that you were providing. Would you say early on in your career, like, did you have that mindset where you like, okay, I'm grateful for this. This I'm getting a lot of value out of this, but then you got to a point where, where things yeah, changed I a little was, bit. Yeah. And I was incredibly grateful. So a little bit of background on me in general. So I don't have a CS degree uh, or a mathematics degree in engineering. I'm a self-taught engineer um, it, that got into the workforce 10 years ago when it was a little bit more, of an elitist type of workforce and, and hiring process than it is today. So I was incredibly thankful that someone took a chance on me knowing that I didn't have some computer science background and I was some self-taught engineer. So super, super grateful and just happy to be able to be in the workforce doing what I was doing. Um, like I said, there was just an inflection point where I grew the value that I can pro could provide grew obviously as my skills developed and my capabilities of what I could do kind of just went through the roof. They exceeded like like what a business um, could do. So I just I felt like I grew like my the, the shoe just doesn't fit anymore. You know, I've just outgrown the shoe. Uh, if if that's an analogy that even exists, but it's just, <laughs> it's just kind of where you're, where I'm at, you know, it's like wherever I go, they're going to be doing things that I've done a hundred times before rehashed 
you know, and repackaged in a way that that's how they do it. But it, I've done it a million times before. And, and then you try to have discussions with leadership on like, it would be really, really great if we can do X, Y, and Z, and it would provide value to the end user. And then you want to, because as like a creator, like myself, like, you know, I'm not a content creator or anything like that, but I use software to create. So I still see myself as like a creator. Um, you know, you get these ideas in your mind on how you could provide value to the end user, like when you're in corporate. And, and that's if you're still passionate about your job. If, if you're just clocking in, you, you probably don't care. But there was a time that I still did really, really care, even working for other people in corporate. And I still wanted to always try to provide, well, if we did this, we could, we could provide more value. Um, and a lot of those ideas, sometimes I don't know if it's um, a managerial disagreement or, you know, um, maybe a lack of vision because a lot of times you'll go in there and people can't really see what you see. Um, and they just don't understand it or this or that. And then you kind of just like, and then when that continuously keeps happening over and over, when you reach like that seniority type of um, development in your career, you start noticing you keep having those type of discussions over and over where you have a, an idea that you think is great and it's it should be theoretically really easy to see and you have concrete kind of steps on how to get there and it's not abstract. It should be theoretically easy to see. Um, and management either just doesn't see it or they don't care or they don't want to do it or whatever the reason is, I, I, it, whatever. It's at that point where you need to start, I think, questioning whether do, do you want to be as emotionally invested, right? So maybe you need to press the brake on being emotionally invested, you know? And that might work for you. Maybe you start focusing or putting your energy into some of your side projects, or maybe you build something on the side. But you're going to reach a point where the passion, the value that you want to do and you want to add is no longer, it's, it's no longer there, right? Because like when you're earlier on in your career, you're so focused on doing like the day-to-day -day stuff because you're still learning. But then you have a higher level of thinking when you're in that senior position. You're mm -hmm. thinking a lot bigger. You're thinking, you know, boom. And then that's kind of when you, you're just not getting the same kind of reception. When you're talking to them about the grunt work, everyone is just like, yeah, yeah, go, go do that grunt work thing that, you know, that we need to do. But then when you're talking to them about, you know, business level kind of conceptual, if we did this, we could attain a new market, right? The market share here is really big. There's only two or three players in there. Um, we have the proprietary knowledge to be able to do so, right? All we need to do is this. We need to expose the ability for consumers to be able to use our service. It sounds pretty simple, but they're just like, uh, don't want to hear it. So it's right. Or I don't, I don't really know what the thought process is. I'd honestly love to know, but, um, when things sound so clear, and just easy to understand and the other person on the other side just doesn't see it you just need to you just need to make a decision and my decision was to to just move on like, yeah i mean this isn't this isn't going to work for me 
sometimes it's a communication thing, but to your point, if it's so clear and they're not getting it, sometimes that comes down to ego and there's lots of egos in the corporate world. And, you know, people, I've experienced this where people want me to check all these boxes so that they can Mm -hmm. check their boxes to make sure that their superiors know that they're doing their job. So it's like everybody wants to try to prove their worth. And and so I I think that just diminishes the level of collaboration that could otherwise go on. For sure. So I wrote down a couple things here, Sean, um, that that were kind of key points there. Number one, you felt like you were financially undervalued, right? Your value and skills continued to grow, but your salary didn't quite keep up with it. And then two, you felt like there was so much more you could do, like so much more that they could tap into and use you for, and you weren't living up to your potential. And the reason I wrote those down is because I've been thinking a lot lately about um, corporate more in terms of like the next step of my education or a person's education, right? Like you go away to college and you graduate. Well, you can go to corporate and you can get yourself a nice financial foundation, be intentional with how you're using your money so you can build up a financial security blanket, develop your skills and knowledge, but eventually you get to a point where you can just graduate and do work that's more fulfilling for you. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of what I've done. And I've been thankful for every position that I've had because every position has allowed me to learn a specific domain uh, every position I've had has been in a different sector, right? So I've worked at an agency, which is incredibly fast paced, uh, a lot of different types of work. I've worked at uh, pre-seed kind of startups, logistics, um, SaaS, financial, you know, so kind of every role that I've had and every job position that I've had has given me some insights into how that industry actually works and some of the challenges that they're facing. So even if maybe I felt undervalued, I still did get a ton of value in understanding how some of the internal workings are for a specific sector and some of the challenges that they face on a daily basis. So Sean, I noticed I looked at your LinkedIn page and you've had several companies that you've worked for. You've had, you've had, I think a pretty significant amount of experience in the FinTech industry. Um, And that's an industry I'm really interested in because it's part of my investment portfolio that I use for myself. It's it's part of what I invest in for my clients. And not only do I invest in it, but it aligns with my values because I just love what fintech is doing to democratize really money, you know, and and that's part of my mission and my business is to democratize financial planning and good wealth planning advice for more people and technology helps us to do that. So I'm just curious, you know, of your take on that industry in general and, you know, maybe some of the the broader industry trends that you learned while you were in those positions. Yeah, I mean, I've worked at, I would say, two financial tech uh, companies and one is larger and owned by Fidelity Investments. Um, So pretty big powerhouse juggernaut behind one of those companies. Um, And that was great for institutional knowledge and and stuff like that. The other was uh, a startup. You know, they already got their series, so they're 
you know, they're along their way and they're definitely more of a modern, I would say, um, technology company trying to, to make it easy to be able to pay with various different ways to be able to basically just pay, uh, whether you're doing kind of crypto, whether you're doing, you know, whatever kind of your, your, your payment vehicle is to kind of abstract that so that, you know, you know, that, that exchange just happens in real time. I think the, the, the fintech industry is, is in an interesting place. Um, I think that there's a lot of development in trying to speed that because it's been, it's been a tried and true, but slow, I would say, um, development, development wise from a technology perspective, it's just been slow. Like ACH rails hasn't been really touched too long in a, in, in a very, very long time, just the way that ACH works. They're just really trying to, to, to create like a more seamless experience for, you know, modern consumers of banking uh, and technology. I do like the idea that more people, and I think larger corporations, specifically the fintech space, are putting on financial wellness. I will say that. Um, I think they're realizing that it is a, a problem. Right. And that they're starting to invest more in creating tooling and uh, content to be able to provide financial literacy um, for the underrepresented and the, the, the not one percent of you know, the United States. Mm-hmm. So I really do like the direction that some of those larger organizations are going like they're finally seeing that this is like um, like there's a real need there and like financial literacy isn't taught in school. You know, we leave, we leave school and, um, you know, two things that I've always harped on when it comes to, to, to school is nutrition and financial literacy. Like those are two really, really big areas that I think our society could do so much better on, but it's not, our fault in a lot of ways. Like it just was not really touched upon when we, when we went to school, how to manage your money, how to create a budget, how to live below your means. Um, same thing with like nutrition, how many calories does have, how much does one gram of fat have? It's nine calories. Most people don't even know that, um, versus carbs, which is four. Um, so like a lot of these details, which are incredibly important are just, you know, they're just not taught and we go through our lives not even really thinking about it too much, but then the impact of not thinking about it too much down the road is really, really big, right? Because time is not a resource that we can just go and purchase more of and just be like, oh, okay, I'll correct it in the next 30 years. You mm-hmm. know, So I made a mistake for these past 30 years. I'll just buy more time and I'll, cor- you know, I'll course correct here for the next 30. So, um, it's great to see that they are making some strides to try to create content and try to create products that actually help the everyday American um, with their their finances. And, and so I, I like that direction. I think that is the right direction to go um, rather than just focusing on the top 1%, which is what financial advisors have historically done. I think trying to delve into the average everyday American has kind of been untapped, but I think it's the direction that people are going to because the market is just larger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the value that you could provide is so much higher. Like, just think about it. 
Imagine you impacting someone's life that is a middle income American. Like if you're able to save them 30% by good financial practices, that is exponentially more important than saving someone 30% that's in the top 1%. Now you may make more money saving that top 1% person, 30%. You know, I'm just throwing percentages around, but you know, just to kind of generalize things. But like the value, the impact that you had on saving that middle income American 30%, the happiness that they're going to have, the improved quality of life that they're going to have, and how that's going to impact how happy they are around the people they love is just exponentially more powerful um, from my perspective. So that's why I think it's important that they're going after that market. Agreed. Totally agreed on that. Um, it, I find it so interesting that the paradox, and this isn't just in financial services, but I think it's society at large, is like as we continue to get more and more digital, more and more automated, it's making the human aspect of whatever service it is so much more important, right? Like mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. when, when robo-advisors first started coming out and and all the financial advisors in in my industry were getting really scared and they saw it as a threat and they were saying no the robot can't give advice as good as I can you know and it's like this is great like let's outsource this stuff and let's focus on creating human connections because at the end of the day a human psychology and behavior is going to drive way more of their financial of success over time than you know the investment return or exactly how many how much tax dollars you save them right so exactly. i think this is just a net positive for the industry whether you're somebody that hasn't been served in the past or has it's just a better way of providing financial advice in my opinion yeah and making it more accessible right um not limiting that literacy or the accessibility i would say is kind of one of the biggest parts. Absolutely. That's, you know, part of my mission is to, um, you know, create a more financially free society. Um, because I feel like if, if people are financially free, they're going to do work that's more meaningful to them and they're going to have a larger impact on their communities. And so it's, it creates a lot of good things. And I've been kind of tossing back and forth in my head. Like I started out having this price, you know, price tiering system, where I had a really low price point and then a high price point because I don't want to exclude people. Like I want to help people who need the help, but now I'm realizing maybe I need to start going all in on that premium side and get Mm -hmm. to a point where my company has money and resources, then start branching out and and providing free and low cost services. Like use the paid clients to subsidize the, the lower tiers. And that's, and that's really just kind of a strategy. And I, and I imagine, I imagine most businesses are like this in their early phases, like entrepreneurs is you have a part of your work that you're really, really passionate about, right? There's going to be, there's going to be a section of that, that you're incredibly passionate about. And then there's going to be a necessity part, right? And in your case, it might be getting a lot more of the premiums to be able to create that bread and butter income to make sure that things are stable, but you might get a lot more value fulfillment and be a lot more passionate about helping the little guy per se, 
Um, and I think we all have just like areas within our business that we're a lot more passionate and excited about. So I think that's pretty normal, but you, you, you might have to just juggle both. Like they just, they both need to coexist. You, you need to have the premiums to be able to keep the lights on. Um, but you, that might not give you the fulfillment, but working with, you know, getting the little guy and in better financial wellness and you be able to like visually see how impactful that is might give you that sense of fulfillment and value, which is incredibly important for sustain and the business and, you know, and for you as a human being to feel like you're providing value, like your, your place here on this earth matters and it's better off because you're here. Exactly. And that, that reminds me of something that you had mentioned a, a little while back about how money is just a consequence. It's not the driving factor. You know, and yep. if you are feeling like you, you do have a purpose, you know, and, and there, there's a specific person that you're meant to serve, like the, the money just becomes a consequence and it, it takes a lot of pressure off of our shoulders, I think. For me, it does personally. Have you found that as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you can provide value to the people that are looking for your services, like eventually you will be known as someone that is respectable in your industry and someone that you can you can trust to be able to provide the results that you're looking for and you'll eventually get referrals going. I think it's just kind of a, a snowball effect, right? Like if you do the right thing consistently every day and you provide value to the people that need your services, eventually you just create a good word of mouth, a good referral uh, system and people eventually come to you to work for you rather than you go out to people like doing as much outreach. Like one of the things I've noticed, I've talked with a lot of um, software kind of consulting agencies, you know, they got a ton of different names, but just software development companies that have been in business for 10 plus 15 plus years. And one consistent theme I've noticed is they don't have a sales team. They don't do outreach. They are 100% based on referrals. And that says, we do good work. People continuously go back, come back to us and they refer us to other people. That's it. And that's one clear way that you can see that they just continuously provide value is they don't need to you know, keep going out to people to be able to keep their pipelines full. Yeah. I think if you, if you provide value um, enough times, right? Obviously, you know, you need clients to be able to provide value. If, so, you, you know, if you can provide value enough times to a, um, a number of different people, eventually I think you just create a snowball effect. And the, the consequences people want to work with you based off of experiences other people had and they're willing to pay for it. I mean, it's just what it is. Yeah. It's, it's, we, we overcomplicate things a lot and, and we say, you know, sell, 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 which listen, there's nothing wrong with selling. If you're an entrepreneur, you're going to have to learn how to do it. You're going to have to get your business off the ground. But in my opinion, like stop focusing on selling and focus on creating more value. Right. Like, mm -hmm. And that's, that's been kind of my approach is that, like, if I continuously increase my value first off if i have the self-awareness to know like what specific problem i'm solving for an ideal client mm -hmm. then it's less about selling it's more about me just like kind of looking for those people trying to find the right person and it's less salesy 
but um, exactly. you, you maximize that value and then the money just becomes a residual of that. And yeah. it's easier said than done, but if, if you're disciplined with it and you have some patience, good things will, will generally have happen in, over time. Exactly. I think like we just tend to complicate things a lot. And if you just, if you really be honest with yourself, and this is what's important also that I've noticed is like reflect on yourself, your thoughts, and just be realistic and just say like, you know, I have skill sets, right? Like in my case, I'm an engineer. I can build systems, right? Like it's an incredibly valuable skill set. I can go find a job right now within two weeks and it pays six figures. It's, and why is that? Because the market decided that my skill sets are valuable. I didn't decide this, right? Like just like LeBron James didn't decide that his ability to play basketball means that he makes what he makes the market decided that it was predetermined right so if you have a skill set the market determines kind of like what what you can charge like what that value is that's just kind of how it works in you know markets and then in in my case it's kind of like well now and i think everyone's case too i have a skill set that it is it is in demand i've done research on it now I just need to get in front of the right people and make sure that I provide the value that they're looking for with time and patience, like you said. It's going to happen. There's no mystery about it. And I think like a lot of times we get caught up because we also look on like LinkedIn. And LinkedIn is like a double-edged sword. It can be great, but like it can kind of, it can put you in a place where it looks like everyone has like a million great things going on and nothing's bad, right? Because it's like, it's like the professional version of Instagram, right? Mm. Where people only want to post the good stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't know really their dirty laundry. You don't know how well they're actually doing, right? You don't know what challenges they're facing or what mental state they're in, but it's an overly optimistic platform where you know everyone just seems to be doing incredibly, incredibly well. And it's just, it's easy to get caught up in that and mentally kind of like question yourself because you're like, everyone else seems like they're doing so much and <laughs> like they got so much going on and like, it's, you, you gotta be, you gotta be careful and you, you, you know, you gotta stay focused on what you need to do um, and just create a plan for yourself. Um, doesn't have to be comprehensive, but a plan and then just like break down tasks on the incremental stuff to be able to get you to that plan. And that's kind of like, that's what I do. And that's been incredibly helpful. Um, and then you listen to really like non-biased, just great information entrepreneurs like Jim Rohn, who's incredibly just, just amazing and just being able to get you to dial in and focus on what you need to do. So the level of calm and confidence that you project is something that I think is a, a super valuable trait in an entrepreneur because, you know, you, you said you've got that confidence. If things don't work out, you can go get a six-figure job, right? It, it could come in increasing your value and knowing that you can monetize your value that gives you that confidence. I mean, that's always going to. Also, you know, having a financial cushion, you know, having the right plan in place before you make the leap will also contribute to that confidence. So on that note, I wanted to ask you if you could highlight and and just tell us a little bit about what your break from corporate looked like. Is it something that you planned for? 
in advance or just kind of walk us through that? My break from corporate was not necessarily planned. I was building my startup on the side when I was still working for my employer at the time. And I was in the early phases, just really just trying to figure out, I mean, really rudimentary basic kind of stuff like LLC, you know, bank account, you know, EIN, kind of just really accounting basic kind of stuff. Uh, Even three months in, I mean, the IRS took like a month and a half to get back to me with an EIN, go figure. But (laughs) nevertheless, nevertheless, I wanted to get all of that stuff right. So I was okay being a little bit more methodical about it um, because I didn't really want to like stress down the road. But my break from corporate was actually pretty abrupt about four months into building my my side business. Um, my previous employer actually fired me because I updated some information on LinkedIn that showed that I had um, another bit, you know, I, I was working for myself as a founder for my company. And like I updated my headshots and you know, some, somehow that got to, you know, back to, back to them and they felt some type of way about it. Um, you know, and that's, that's fine. But the most important thing that I would say is I wasn't ready to be let go conceptually because I didn't feel like that was a big issue, but I was ready if it did happen and I did know that it was a possibility um, that they might look up on look at my LinkedIn and might feel a certain type of way about it. And I was ready financially. Um, and I got to say, you know, looking back, it might have been one of the best things that happened. I mean, it has allowed me to fully focus and now take complete serious my business. Um, you know, thankfully I, I did have a, a a large nest egg. I'm a, I'm a diligent saver. Um, you know, I, I don't live like super lavishly, you know, and, um, I had some, I had some good fortune, uh, investing, uh, you know, so making that leap, like financially I felt okay. You know, like if something did happen to me, which in this case I got let go. I think I was mentally in the right place, but I did not like foresee it happening so soon. I mean, I mean, I updated my profile and like within two weeks, you know what I mean? Like I didn't expect it to be that abrupt. Uh, I expected it to happen, but I really did not expect it to happen that quickly. Now, interestingly enough, a week later after I got let go, they let go 5% of their entire workforce. So, now, whether if it was really for what, you know, whether if it was really for having my own thing or they were just trying to trim their, you know, their balance sheet, That's you know, something I'll let ponder. you guys, <laughs> I'll let you guys be the judge of that. But, um, I'm, you know, regardless of that, what matters is I needed it to happen because I wouldn't be where I'm at mentally. Um, now that's not going to be. Uh, solid advice to everybody that is not in the same fiscal position. I mean, if, you know, if you got two weeks worth of, 
you know, runway, if you, you know, left your job today, you probably, you know, you probably should take a different kind of mentality. Uh, I, w- I definitely wouldn't recommend that. But if you're fiscally in a good place and you're mentally okay with the idea that it could take six months to a year to, to actually start, you know, generating some decent revenue or at least to be able to coast, right? I mean, just be able to keep the lights on. If you're in that place where you could do something like that, um, it's a lot easier for something like that to happen to you, you know, for that abrupt let go. But like I said, if I had like two weeks worth of runway left, I would probably be like in super, super panic mode. But I'm, I'm very thankful that I'm not in that place. Yeah, the, the planning is, is always so important. And you weren't necessarily planning to make the leap, but you had a plan in place to protect the downside. Like this is something I always talk to clients about. You know, there's this old adage in financial planning where people will say, plan for the worst and hope for the best. But I actually p- prefer to, to flip that around and say, plan for the best and be okay with the rest. And so like yes. you were planning for the best like you knew at some point you wanted to do this but if it happens sooner if something else happened you're okay with it so, so you kind of hedged yourself a little bit which is a very smart thing to do i wanted to be in the right headspace as it related to all of that at the end of the day like i really did need that to happen because i was in a place where i was complacent and my ideology for actually getting my business off the ground was if it happens it happens and that's the wrong place to be there's just there was no way that I was going to get it off the ground with that type of mentality. So like I reflected after I got let go and I saw like my mind started to change like this needs to happen and I need to be more committed, you know, and I need to be more deliberate and intentional about how I spend my time. Um, and, you know, I need to find who my target audience is, where where do they congregate, you know, how all of these kind of things were like not going through my mind at that time because it's like, "Mm, if I get through it today, you know, it's fine. If I don't, I don't because the paycheck just kept coming in. So there's a certain level of complacency that comes with continuing to stay in an organization, at least for me, maybe not every other professional is that way, but I did, if I have to be completely honest, I was in a place of somewhat complacency that would have not allowed me to probably get to where I could be if I continue to stay in that organization. Well, I can certainly relate to that. I stayed in my career way longer than I should have because I was just comfortable. I didn't want to lose the paycheck. Um, I had put in so much time that I felt like walking away was, was sort of leaving everything I had worked to, um, you know, behind. So there's, there's challenges. And and I was kind of like you where I needed the kick in the ass to really, get things moving in the right direction. For me, it was a health scare, which I think I had mentioned to you, but um, yeah, sometimes people don't have that kick, but hearing stories like yours about when you did it, that's when you finally, you know, realized it. And, and, and you, that's when you could finally commit to it. I think it's so important to hear those experiences because there's never going to be a right time. You know, at some point, you just got to do it and believe in yourself and know that things are going to work out. You know, if you put your head down and you do the right things and you serve people, 
Just let the chips fall where they may. It's a hard thing to do, but so important. The worst part, Brian, um, and I think I had this fear, it was subtle, but it probably would grow over time, was if I continued to be complacent and I did not put in the effort that was necessary to get my business to where I wanted it to be, would this impact me down the road mentally looking back when I was older, you know, as I was reflecting on my life and I would think about, did I do all that I could? Did I leave it on the table? Um, and I think if I continued to be complacent and I eventually just gave up on my business and was just like, eh, you know, you know, things are pretty good. You know, yeah. what do I need to start another business for or, you know, or whatever. The thing is, this is the second time I've started a company like this. And the first time I couldn't follow through with it for other reasons, I was, I was going through a divorce and like, and that completely destroyed my world as one can imagine. Um, and I didn't get it off the ground then. And now here I am, I have a second chance. Um, you know, to, 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 to finally commit, get it off the ground and do it now while I'm young and I have the energy and I have the time and I have the grit and I have the financial safety net that I've put in place for myself so I can do it without feeling anxious and like stressed and then having that spill over into like my family, my kids, my relationships. Like I can do this calmly but tactfully, strategically. Um, and pace myself in a way that works for me. I can't imagine if I continue to be complacent when I was like 65 and looked back, not to say that I wouldn't live a great life. That's not what we're talking about here. But did I do all that I could? Did I use my skill sets uh, to, the, to, to the most or to the best of my ability? Uh, could I have provided more value? You know, rather than just being complacent in these large organizations where you're not, you're just another seat, right? Mm -hmm. Would that have come back to haunt me and feel like I really gave 30, 40 years of my, my life when I could have been so much more to an organization that wouldn't have skipped a beat if they had me there or they didn't have me there? It's, it's indifferent. It's irrelevant. So does that mean I'm indifferent or I'm irrelevant, right? Like what? How did I really change anything, right? So that's kind of like one of the biggest driving factors for me too is being able to kind of look back and feel feel like I did the best that I could and I, you know, left it all on the floor. Um, yeah, that's one of the driving factors for me. Well, so now with the work you're doing and, and assuming you continue to do this, uh, you'll be able to look back um, when you're 65 or whatever age and and be happy with the risks that you've taken and, and the fulfillment that you've experienced. So can you jump in a little bit and, and just talk about what you're doing right now? I know you, you're helping startups to launch their business. Are you working just with um, like, like multi-person companies or solopreneurs or what does that look like with the work you're doing now? Yeah, so really I'm focused on helping non-technical founders launch their technology product. And the reason I've picked that kind of niche in that space is because non-technical founders, I think they feel the need that they have to work with offshore development companies to be able to get their products across the finish line. 
And what I've noticed is a lot of times they get put in almost like a hostage type situation where they'll work with an offshore developer and that relationship dynamic changes over time where that developer realizes, you know, that this, this person that's paying me to do this doesn't really know what they're doing. They don't know how long it takes for me to do what I do and they don't know if I'm doing a good job, right? And they eventually just drag their feet and then these founders are putting all of their hopes and dreams into being able to launch their product. And then now they're just being held hostage by these offshore developers um, and they don't know how to properly manage them, honestly. I mean, if I hired an architect to come work for me, how can I manage an architect? I, I, I don't know how to build buildings, right? Like that's not what I do. And that's kind of the situation that, you know, a lot of these non-technical founders get put in just to try to save costs. So that's really the problem I'm trying to solve is to give them like a US-based solution, someone that they can talk to, um, shares their culture, uh, is incredibly passionate about being able to help them launch efficiently and cost-effectively. And that's kind of like where my passion is. Like I just, it just pains me to see. I've worked with several founders up close that were launching their technology products and just to see like that they were being taken advantage, you know, and just just to see them like a year into a project with like two months worth of development actually being done after I've reviewed everything. And just that, you know, after I tell them that, like they just, they're just so distraught and it's just so painful and gut-wrenching just to see that. And I just don't feel like it needs to be that way. So that's kind of why I'm focused on helping these people because they're the most vulnerable and they're the most taken advantage of, right? And I and I don't feel I I don't like that. That's just not the type of person that I am, and I despise people that do that, uh, that prey on people's vulnerabilities. So I'm trying to give non-technical founders a um, a, a choice, like a solution to work with a U.S.-based agency that d it does have cost effectiveness in mind, because I understand that capital sometimes can be difficult for you know non-technical founders that don't that don't have seed money. You know, they haven't gone to their series. Um, to be able to work with someone that has ten years of experience building applications, both at pre-seed and Fortune 100, you know, enterprise-grade systems. Yeah, when you're um, a new entrepreneur, at least this was my experience, there was, I mean, there's a lot of things that are sort of inducing anxiety because you go for so long think worrying that you don't like have enough money and then you go into entrepreneurship and you know that you've only got so much money and you need to make it mm -hmm. last a certain period of time and, you know, you have your doubts when you're early on in your business. Like, is this going to work out um, if I spend money on this? Am I going to get an ROI? And so all these questions mm -hmm. and you, you just don't know what you don't know. And, and so like yeah. this one thing that I did that I regret is I tried to study everything and learn everything and try to do everything on my own because I didn't know what I should be looking for. Um, I didn't know exactly. what was a reasonable price to pay. So exactly. yeah, I think that is a, a super valuable service that you're providing there. So I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. And it's just like, you know, a lot of times people just want someone that they can trust and talk to, honestly, about things like, and just, you know, throw something on the wall and just see, you know, what do you think about this, right? And a lot of times when you're in that ideation phase, when you're building something, you need a second set of eyes 
And a lot of times I recommend like no code solutions. Like I'm not trying to sell to everybody, right? Like if you come to me with, Hey, Sean, I want to build a website. I'm going to tell you to use WordPress. Please don't work with me because there's a solution out there that's going to be cost effective. You're going to have to put a little time in to learn it yourself, obviously, to do all of that stuff. You know, like put the content on. Maybe you're going to tweak some of the widgets or whatever like that. But like there's a solution out there that solves that problem. Um, so it's it's more about having people that are professionals in their area that have your best interest, I think, is also a a difficult thing to find because everyone's trying to sell something and they can't just be unbiased, you know what I mean? And just provide good quality information and they're not, um, you know, malicious in nature and stuff like that. It's just hard to find. It is, you know, you wish we had a society where every business was a fiduciary, but that's just not the case, you know? So, um, man, I really appreciate the work that you're doing and the fact that you, uh, value humans over money and, and providing value to people and money just being the residual. It just, you know, oozes out of you. So I just appreciate what you're doing, man. And, and I'm glad that you came on the show here today. If people want to find out more information on you and, and what you're doing, how can they, how can they find you? Uh, definitely LinkedIn. I would say just touch base with me on LinkedIn and let's just have a conversation. I think that's like the great medium just to have me because that way we can connect and like we can follow each other's kind of content and like what we're all about and also use it to be able to communicate with each other. For sure. All right, Sean. Well, thank you, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening today. And if you have a moment, check out my website at reflectivewealth.com. Everything you need to know about my business is there. Because if there's one thing I've learned in my career, transparency and accountability are critical to a healthy financial services industry. Thanks and see you next time.